This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Energy Sense, the podcast where we speak of everything at the intersection of energy and finance. As always, I've got Hill Vaden with me to here today. Uh, Hill, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? I'm pretty good. I was just explaining to Hill that uh, this morning was exciting. I went for a walk. Uh, that's uh, very thrilling, I know, for everybody to hear about. Uh, I've, I'm trying to think of something interesting that's happened in the last few days. And to be honest, I'm drawing a blank. Must be that I've been working too hard. Yeah, I mean, a walk is a luxury, both with, uh, you know, some of the uh, workflow or workloads that we're all carrying or or lucky enough to be carrying, I should say, and with a lot of the restrictions that are going down uh, on the back of some of this COVID flare up. I was talking with my sister recently, and I'm not sure she can go on a walk without a mask anymore. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm fully masked when I'm on my walk. It's not not uh, crazy. Texas, we can walk without masks. Oh, really? Yeah, no. no. My mask goes on as soon as I step out the front door, and then doesn't come doesn't come off till my shoes are off. There you go. Yeah. Well, hopefully today or, or tomorrow is uh, just as exciting. New York is known for walks and many things. It's it is true. Um, I have to say there. It was two Saturdays ago, I guess, though, when the election results came off. New York was hopping. So it was socially distant, sometimes maybe not as socially distant as probably it had probably should be or has been. But, um, you know, two Saturdays ago off the election results, the the city erupted. Um, Yeah, I I think it is an appropriate word for it. We were we were surprised at how. um, How much of a display, you know, there was, you know, not that you knew what to expect or anything, but um, yeah. So a couple weekends ago, it was also beautiful weather. So it seemed to sort of bring New York City alive for for a good 24 hours. And um, since then, it's gotten a little bit colder and people are back indoors. <laughs> so, you know, combination of, you know, the news, the news dies down and uh, got colder. So people move back indoors. But yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe the real thing is, is that we are working hard. In case Lance is listening, we've been working very hard. I barely have time to go on walks. Yes, no time for walks. <laughs> We're in our chairs and, and, and typing furiously. <laughs> with, smiles on our faces, with smiles on our faces. Exactly. And recording podcasts, which we're very excited to be doing today. We've got Catherine Robinson with us, which is um, a thrill for Hill and I, because she's here to talk about something that I have to say we're, we're hearing come up from both our clients and internally within our colleagues, from our colleagues on a daily basis at this point. She leads our global analysis of low carbon gas research. And um, today we're here to talk about hydrogen. So welcome so much, Catherine, for joining us. Thank you. Hello. I'm very glad to be here. I think what's interesting is, as I said, I have to, I'm not even exaggerating. Daily, I'm hearing a question about hydrogen or a statement about hydrogen um, from, from clients and colleagues alike. And it's, it's clearly become a hot topic. And I think when we were talking about this and kind of prepping for the podcast, actually, Hill drew, drew attention to an article that came out where Boris Johnson has launched a plan for a green recovery that's post-COVID-19 recovery and how really take the opportunity to sort of 
get the UK on a green path. And I, I read through it, and, and this I found to be a particularly poignant statement. Imagine Britain when a green industrial revolution has helped to level up the country. You cook breakfast using hydrogen power before getting into your electric car, having charged it overnight from batteries made in the Midlands. Around you, the air is cleaner. Trucks, trains, ships, and planes run on hydrogen or synthetic fuel. Needless to say, hydrogen is a big part of all of these conversations these days, and particularly in Europe, where it's getting a, a huge amount of support, not just from you know individual countries, but the EU as a whole has, has come forward with some mandates. So first things first, when, when we get to hydrogen, though, can for, for listeners, or I'm not even going to be shy about it, for myself included, can you just explain a little bit, sort of, you know, we hear green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, what exactly is hydrogen? How does it fit into this whole fuel conversation? So I think what we've seen happening is a discussion about using hydrogen as an energy carrier. So using hydrogen as a fuel for vehicles, using hydrogen as a source of space and water heating and using hydrogen in industry. Um, so hydrogen obviously is used today in refining and in feedstocks, but this is about using it in, in industry. And that's the, the change that we've seen in the last sort of, I suppose, two years in terms of the discussion. Where does that hydrogen come from? Um, people talk about blue hydrogen. That would be hydrogen from natural gas with carbon capture. Or they talk about green hydrogen, which is hydrogen from water, where that water is split using electricity. And the electricity supply is um, coming from renewable electricity. Of high level definitions, I think, that people are talking about. Is one closer? I assume the green hydrogen is that much cleaner because there's no fossil fuel involved in the process. Is one that much, uh, does one have more momentum than the other from a consumer standpoint? I don't know the consumer is that concerned. Um, the, I think what we're seeing is a lot of um, discussion around the policy about whether blue hydrogen is considered clean hydrogen or not. And there's a very complex taxonomy that's being developed, which defines clean hydrogen, low carbon hydrogen, um, renewable hydrogen, all slightly differently. But Hydrogen with carbon capture can be extremely low CO2. They're usually looking at in excess of 90% carbon capture. Um, so it is a, a low carbon fuel. Um, even hydrogen from coal with carbon capture can be a very low carbon fuel. And they're all um, supported in, in, the, in the discussions that are ongoing at the moment. But certainly a lot of the focus is on green hydrogen. That's probably where a lot of the attention is, a lot of the discussion. And it's not new, right? Hydrogen is already, I mean, it's a small portion, but it's already part of the fuel mix. Is this right? Some places? So, so hydrogen today would be about 2% of energy supply, uh, but that's used predominantly as a feedstock. So it's going into chemicals, so going into manufacture of plastics, going into ammonia, going into um, fertilizers. Um, it's also used in refineries. Um, and it's used a little bit as an industrial gas. Um, but this is about using it in um, as an end-use fuel, so as a source of heat or as a source of mobility. And, I mean, the EU uh, has put forth a, a lot of plans and, and I believe, mandates as well, right, or targets. Um, how quickly can this sort of hydrogen industry sort of take off and and become a a real representation within the fuel mix. I, I'm assuming the EU is, is, the, is the region that's most advanced with respect to the hydrogen, but correct me if it's actually someplace else where we're going to see it make inroads faster. 
I think the EU is very interesting because they're looking at using it everywhere and they're looking at putting in place a very clear um, support framework and, and for using hydrogen in industry in addition to using hydrogen mobility. The targets that people are talking about, if you look at Germany, maybe 5% of energy demand by 2030. Um, the European Union is looking at about 25% by 2050. So that would be equivalent to natural gas today. So really very, very rapid growth in terms of um, the scale. In other markets, so in China, Japan, um, they're looking more about using hydrogen in um, transportation. Uh, so for heavy goods vehicles, South Korea is looking at um, fuel cells for power generation purposes. And obviously in California, there's a lot of discussion around the, the transport fleet as well. So you say that the the, the 2050 EU for hydrogen was about 25% of demand, which is today natural gas. Does that does hydrogen grow at the expense of natural gas or, or is natural gas, is there almost a second life for natural gas if it is blue hydrogen rather than green hydrogen that, that is fueling that growth? So I think in terms of what is being displaced by hydrogen, the fuel that's being displaced in end use is oil or gas or in some cases coal. But there is definitely a second life for natural gas in terms of being a source um, as a feedstock for hydrogen. So in the outlook that we just produced for Europe through 2050, we would see the largest use of, of natural gas in Europe in 2050 being making hydrogen. We'd also see the largest use for electricity in 2050 in Europe being making hydrogen. So it is very transformative for both um, the gas sector and the electricity sector. Well, is that some of the enthusiasm around blue blue hydrogen, that, that it's the traditional fossil fuel companies that, that are perhaps most interested in, in the success of hydrogen because it makes some of these uh, commodities, in particular natural gas, uh, more, more relevant? I think we're seeing interest from the entire um, value chain in, in hydrogen. So electricity utilities are very interested in it because it's a way of boosting electricity demand um, the OEMs are seeing a much larger um, demand for renewable capacity in the long term uh, infrastructure companies are very interested in it because it's a new life for gas infrastructure natural gas infrastructure it's potentially a way of managing more efficiently the electricity infrastructure and the upstream oil and gas companies are very interested um, because of the opportunities for market for natural gas um, and the ability to develop carbon sequestration and storage. And also, I think, the potential for offshore wind development as well. Um, so it really is bringing everybody into, into the mix. I mean, that sounds... First, I, I think that's what makes it so exciting, right, is the, is the combination of the interested parties in, in this particular fuel. Um, but I mean, what you just described there, that just sounds to be a huge amount of investment, right? How how easy, I, I doubt it's just turning on a switch necessarily to switch from a pipeline being natural gas to hydrogen. How feasible is all of this really from either an investment or actually just the the nuts and bolts logistics of what would need to be accomplished to to make this sort of happen by 2030 or even 2040. It, does it, is it reasonable? I mean, I think it's... Um... There is a lot of change that would be required to see a large-scale hydrogen market. There's no question about that. Um, and I think what we're seeing is the various different barriers to hydrogen deployment are being addressed successively in, in different regions. So I think there's kind of three big limiting factors today 
and each one needs to be addressed kind of in turn. The first one is that the demand for hydrogen today is very limited outside the industrial sector. So you have to create the demand. There's then what does that hydrogen cost? Because today hydrogen would be about twice the price of natural gas and um, possibly as much as four times the cost of natural gas. So there is a kind of cost barrier that has to be overcome. And then the third question is, how do you transport that hydrogen around? What is the infrastructure? And they're all kind of being addressed in turn. And probably the most important one is finding the anchor customer for the hydrogen. So really getting the interests of large industrial consumers or large scale transport fleets, that kind of thing, to find a market for hydrogen that then allows scale to be built in terms of production, that allows infrastructure to develop these kind of things. And I think this is what's interesting in terms of what's happening in Europe at the moment, is that there are discussions um, amongst you know large industrial groups about creating large-scale projects for demand from the mid-2020s. And where, if, if, if I'm, you know, one of these potential long, large customers, what am I looking at for, you know, trying to understand my uh, cost profile if I'm going to start relying on hydrogen? Do, do, am I indexed to the price of natural gas? Am I indexed to the price of oil? Is there something totally independent? I think what we're seeing at the moment is that the hydrogen, I mean, there is no market, large scale market in low carbon hydrogen. So what the pricing mechanism would be is a bit unclear. I think what we're probably seeing is that they are building a consortium with the producer of the hydrogen, with the transporter of the hydrogen and with the, the, the end use demand altogether. So it's a, it's a full value chain that's being created and it's linked back to the, uh, the cost of renewable electricity as, as probably being the biggest driver for, for green hydrogen, for blue hydrogen, natural gas. And so when we think of all of all of these things, and obviously the EU is driving things forward with from a policy standpoint, and let's say let's let's talk a little bit about the US and where maybe the policy isn't as robust around um, transition and particularly around hydrogen at this point. Do you think that the policy is a necessity to sort of drive this progress forward? Do you think that um, it really is a combination of policy and you know, private investment or investment from the co companies? Basically, can it happen, do you think, without governments really pushing the initiatives forward? Well, I think, I mean, today, hydrogen would be substantially more expensive than the the, the existing fuel that's being used. So there is a, an economic bridge that has to has to be made. Um, I think there's markets where we can see that happening. It's, you know, it happens with the, the low carbon fuel standard in California would make it economic to use hydrogen there. So that is a, a effectively a policy driven instrument. I think without a policy framework, it's very difficult to envisage it just happening in, independently. But we are, I think, seeing more policy frameworks being put in place that could drive, drive progress so, or, or penetration of hydrogen. So there's the proposals in Oregon, the proposals in Canada um, around low carbon fuel standards um, for, for transportation could be ways of, of driving a, a market. So where, I mean, it, it feels like in, in some senses that, that, you know, with policy such a, an important factor in this, that of the renewable technologies that people are looking at right now, we've got, you know, electric vehicles, we've got wind, we've got solar, is hydrogen the, the, the farthest off? I mean, solar and electric vehicles is here. Wind is here. Um, is, is hydrogen gaining ground or, or is that maybe a next step 
you know, five, ten years after these become more mainstream. I mean, I, th I think hydrogen is kind of in the build-up phase at the moment. So it's just as we saw um, maybe where batteries and, and solar were 10 years ago, something like that. That's the sort of stage maybe that we're, we're at with the development of hydrogen for energy use. That being said, however, the technology is extremely well developed and is well understood because it is being used in industry today. So it, on the one hand, it's quite immature. So it's immature for energy use. That market is small. But the... The actual use and understanding of hydrogen, it's a huge market already today. So it's just about using it in a different place, which maybe is something that can make the adoption much more rapid than you might envisage in other cases. So is that economics and, and effectively the, the cost of hydrogen that's the inhibiting factor more so than technology or anything else? Oh, I, th I think it's the the level of, of, of ambition to decarbonize really is, is what's um, in some ways the, 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 the driver of the change that we're seeing now. So once we start to look towards net zero carbon, then net zero carbon without hydrogen is really very challenging to envisage how that would happen. So it, it's kind of more a function of targets that are deeply decarbonizing. Okay. And so when, when you talk about net zero, I mean, <clears throat> we, we saw a big announcement from China earlier this year um, you know, I, I think Biden ha has more interest in, in net zero type policy or ambition within the U.S. than, than perhaps Trump did. Um, Boris Johnson, obviously, with his op-ed yesterday in the Financial Times, is big. Did it, or is hydrogen able to make the inroads that that uh, what one would expect on a country by country basis, or does there need to be some sort of global um, coordination to, to make it more of a reality? I think. If, if you look at the statements from China, from South Korea, from uh, Japan, from the UK, from the European Union, you've got quite a lot of countries there that are already pushing towards net zero carbon, the statements from Australia and so on and around them looking to supply that market. So we are seeing multiple different countries and organisations and areas thinking about it. And I think, you know, in a way, anyone is probably enough to, to bring a lot of the cost reductions that we would see and we would expect. And we're already seeing very, very significant cost reductions. The cost of hydrogen from electricity has already fallen. It's halved in the last five years. We expect it to have again in the next five years. So the cost reductions are really happening already. The pipeline that's under development, so if the, the pipeline for electrolysis today is um, installed capacity is 80 megawatts around the whole world. Um, the pipeline to 2025 is 21 gigawatts. You know, so the, the scale is, is growing um, potentially really, really quickly. And if, if that happens, the cost reductions will come. Um, you know, it's a function of automation. It's a function of larger projects. If the current pipeline is built out, then, you know, the costs will be half of what they are today. So when we look, I mean, one of the things that we try to do on this podcast is look at, you know, the energy market, um, you know, at the, from the financial investor perspective. So if we're looking at hydrogen, who are the, the, the types of uh, players that are really going to be, um, you know, making money uh, from, from hydrogen? Is this a an opportunity for the integrated oil companies? Is this an opportunity for, um, you know, traditional Silicon Valley type names or uh, is it a whole new sector in itself? I think it's a really quite an interesting um, sector because it depends how you think about hydrogen in a way. Um, so hydrogen is a gas. 
It plays to the strengths of upstream oil and gas companies. It plays to the strengths of the transportation companies. It also can be made from electricity, so it plays to the strengths of the utilities. It can be used in end use, and there's a need for a retail infrastructure that maybe is is for for you know the oil and gas companies to play there as well. So there's there's different there's very much different components that everybody can um, participate in the chain. There will we think be a large international transportation element. Of, of hydrogen, maybe not by 2030, large then, but certainly maybe large by 2035. That's a you know a shipping uh, an investment there. So there's there's a whole um, very complex value chain. What I don't think is very clear at the moment is where the highest returns in that value chain will be. It's all very new. So is it going to be that the profitability sits in the upstream or in the downstream? That, I think, today we don't know, but there, there certainly is um, a whole new set of business opportunities out there. And just from a, you know, as we look forward to, forward to more carbon conscious future, do we think hydrogen is is a technology that that is going to be here to say, I mean, sometimes, you know, as we go through these progressions, some some things kind of fall away and some things continue to grow and, and we sort of see see changes as this evolves. Does it look like hydrogen has a pretty good foothold in this progression or, you know, could it, could it sort of be replaced by some other, is there another technology or another fuel source, for instance, or carrier that could potentially knock hydrogen off the, off the stack? I think, um, what we're, the, the question that we were getting a couple of years ago was, is there a role for hydrogen? Is it just is it all hype now and is it going to go away? I think there, what we're seeing increasingly now is there's an acceptance that hydrogen or some form of low carbon gas is essential. So it, it, full decarbonisation, net zero carbon with just electricity is very, very difficult. Um, so there is a need for some other energy form. So either a liquid carrier or a carrier that is a gas. At the moment, the gas, the carrier that people are looking at is hydrogen. It could end up being that a lot of it is actually people use ammonia instead, but then you know they need hydrogen to make that ammonia. It could be that it's methanol, it could be synthetic liquids or synthetic methane instead, but they all would have a route that goes through um, a sort of green hydrogen or a low carbon hydrogen step to, to get there. But there is there's certainly huge un a lot of uncertainty around what the form of, of the energy will be. I mean, for shipping, for example, it might be ammonia. People are looking at developing ammonia fuel cells for power generation, for example. Um, so there's a lot of um, technological development that can still happen. We say most so that shipping the ammonia itself or using the ammonia to, to, to power the, the, the ship? Both. Okay. So it's, it's much cheaper to transport ammonia than it is to transport hydrogen. The cost of the uh, of the transportation is much less. Uh, but then for the economics to, to be to be um, advantageous, you probably need to have a use for ammonia at the end of the transportation rather than wanting to use hydrogen. So these are the, the, the challenges that people are, are working with at the moment. And if you look at Japan, for example, Japan is looking at a whole number of different transportation routes. So they're looking at import hy in hydrogen in liquid form as ammonia or in um, a, a liquid organic hydrogen carrier. So there's multiple different routes that are being considered. Is there, I mean, what, what's the, um, the, 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 the NIMBY backlight? I mean, I, I'm if, if, if you're moving things around that have to be converted to hydrogen, 
do existing refinery assets or existing uh, other assets do they do that conversion now or, or is a is there a new build out that one would have to factor into this um, to convert say you know ammonia or something else into hydrogen that, that is going to introduce any sort of NIMBY concerns? I mean, I think there are questions around the social acceptability of hydrogen that, that people are looking at, at um, addressing now. And there's a huge amount of work ongoing about safety, about if um, there's proposals just back to the thing that Brianne mentioned at the beginning around the UK strategy around using hydrogen for domestic heating. Um, what's the willingness of people to have hydrogen in their home to cook and to heat with? Um, so there's a lot of work being done at the moment around proving the safety case for that, around proving the safety case for hydrogen in, in power generation, in transportation pipelines, in fuel cell vehicles and so on. But um, you know, that's a very large ongoing um, element. I think there has been some concerns. I think maybe in, in Korea and in um, Norway, there there were some issues with um, some hydrogen storage that raised some concerns. But um, that's you know safety work that's ongoing and, and being tested. And hydrogen storage. Th my understanding is they could use existing natural gas storage facilities. Is this? Right. Um, there, there's certainly there's 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 testing ongoing at the moment to check that that is a, that is a feasible option that you can but you can certainly use um, salt storage uh, okay. for hydrogen um, compressed tanks liquid hydrogen there, there's multiple storage options. Is there a um, a natural energy security that comes with an over reliance or an increased reliance of? on hydrogen it sounds like that there's so many ways of creating that the hydrogen that there's it would give countries a lot of flexibility as opposed to be reliant on you know one country for oil or one country on cobalt or one country on something else i mean i think you know the interesting angle here is that it can lead to a lot more domestic production if you know if you look at china for example there's very good renewable resources there's there's large amounts of coal that could be used so it could lead to a drop in natural gas or or, or oil imports that's something that could be um part of the of, of the future but i think you know we would expect that um, exports would probably come from large um, exporters of energy today as, as well. So it maybe doesn't change the balance quite as much as people think, but there's certainly a lot of, a lot of options. So is someone like Saudi Arabia or Qatar, I mean, are, are they implicitly big backers of, of hydrogen? Yes, I think Saudi Aramco have been have been looking um, and have, have made statements about exports to um, Japan, looking at that as a as a potential market. Also, you know, potentially looking at, at at Europe. There's, you know, I think quite a bit of interest in in the Middle East and exporting both east and west. You mentioned at the at the beginning of our discussion that there's still some debate around um, exactly blue hydrogen may work into the system and, and concerns around the fact that it involves carbon sequestration and, and comes from a hydrocarbon. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that, uh, kind of where that dialogue is right now? Uh, because I imagine that the technologies have to be invested in today in order to kind of meet these 2030 type targets. So is so far everybody's okay with the idea of blue hydrogen or, or we think that it's going to be um, so I think here I would have to talk about Europe because I don't really know exactly the, the details in, in, in the other markets. But I think what we're seeing is in, in the Netherlands and in the UK, there are multiple projects and, and Norway as well to develop blue hydrogen with um, carbon sequestration 
Um, there's announcements about funding. I was announcement this morning from the UK government about funding for one of those projects. Um, the, the Dutch projects are, are ongoing and, and looking going through funding um, stages there as well. In terms of what the European Union overall is, is talking about, there is still this ongoing discussion around what constitutes um, low carbon hydrogen. And I think it's not entirely settled yet what the, what the status will be of the different types of hydrogen and exactly what the funding uh, mechanisms will be. But certainly... Um, the UK, the Netherlands and Norway are all very definitely pushing ahead with hydrogen from, from blue sources. I think there was an announcement in Italy uh, last week as well. Um, so there are there are multiple um, large projects under consideration and, and going through various stages of feasibility. And so and, yeah, and, yeah. And where where is the green hydrogen at this point? Still very much in the test phase because costs are still very, very high. How How quick... Could that potentially? But the, what we're seeing at the moment is this. I mean, thing, talking about what's investable and, and what's happening. I think we're seeing that um, all the, the manufacturers of electrolysis are hugely increasing their production capacity. So they're all building factories that will move them up to about one gigawatt per year of, of capacity from 2022, 2023, that sort of time scale. So um, that's a clear commitment to the, the size of the market. Um we're, we're also seeing large projects announced for completion in the early 2020s, so 2022, 3-24, that sort of time scale. So, and, and maybe this is a, a good way to kind of wrap it up, but the there seems to be a lot of momentum. And I, I know we're, you know, each hearing it from, from our clients, from our colleagues, from, from whoever else. Is that momentum going to continue in somewhat of a linear, uh, um, you know, episode or, or is there some catalyst that we should be watching that says all right w once this happens the hydrogen game is on and, and things are about to accelerate or, or do, do we just watch kind of a more more of a trend line i think we are i think the the, the key signpost to watch is to watch and see how many of the current pipeline of electrolysis projects is built and, and how quickly you know some of the large industrial processes are converted. There's a couple of large, um, I think, signposts that we could see that would really make a difference. But you know, even just in the last week, there was an announcement of very high hydrogen targets from Chile. Um, it really is spreading very, very quickly. But um, we really need to see, I think, that policy put into action and begin to see some investment on on, on the ground. So that's what I would watch for. So and it's fair watching. to say to watch Europe. You think that. The space to watch? I, I think Europe, um, Australia, there's huge uh, projects on, announced in Australia. I think watching them come to market is a huge signpost for, for what happens. And it's country policy, what more so than corporate, corporate activity that we should be paying attention to? I think they're both important. We've kind of got a lot of the the policy is beginning to be put in place. And I think what will be interesting to see is once the projects really begin to take final investment decision, that's when we'll really understand how quickly things are going to change. Well, that's great. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, Catherine. I, you know, as, as per usual with our guests, I feel like I learn 
large son, which maybe speaks to what I don't know going into the podcasts. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good sign. But needless to say, I appreciate the conversation, and I actually think that um, you 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 raised some really interesting points for, in particular, our, our investor clients that might be listening in today around the value chain, especially because that's something that's always of interest to them. So we really appreciate you joining us, and I'm going to go on a limb and assume that we'll be having you back in um, the <laughs> not so have. distant. If you'll if you'll come back, I I think we try to make it pretty pretty not scary, you know. No, I'd be uh, very happy to. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can take that we can take that conversation offline. You can, you can you can give us some honest feedback about whether or not you want to come back and join us. But um, yeah, because it, this is uh, you know we've we've said it several times throughout the the podcast, but this is a space to watch because we are hearing questions from every side of the industry at this point and from the investment community so everybody's eyes are on it and i think very keen to see how things evolve over the next 12 months even and as you said there's a lot that's even potentially coming into play as early as 2022 2023 so um yes thank you very much for joining us and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day and hill as always great chatting with you always To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.